Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the lower Columbia Pacific region. I'm Teresa Retzloff, and with me today is my dear friend Jessica Schleif. Hi, Jessica. Hi, T. We um, had a really funny uh, information exchange recently that, that triggered my idea for this show. So we were talking about pruning this tree. We, we need some branches for an um, event that we're doing, we're decorating with plant material for coming up soon. And we really wanted some contorted filbert. And I knew of a tree nearby that was very overgrown and we were talking about pruning it. Um, and this is, we're talking in the fall, late fall, it's the end of October. And um, we were trying to set a time to prune it, but then we were also talking about recording a radio show together and what should we talk about. <laughs> and I was joking, and this is all over text, you know, but I was joking saying, well, maybe we should talk about like, you know, why we're pruning this tree at a time of year when we really shouldn't be. And Jessica sent me this text back and said, hey, well, why shouldn't we be pruning it right now? What's the problem with that? You know, are you, are you worried about pathogens or, you know, what's, what's the thing you're concerned about? And I was like, ooh, uh, well, I guess I just always thought you weren't supposed to prune trees in the fall. And then I had to question myself and think like, well, why do I think that? Where and I had to question myself, oh my gosh, have I been pruning things at the wrong time? No. <laughs> but it was funny because we both have a tremendous number of years of experience working with plants between us. And yet we had this very different take on, is this the right time of year to prune trees or not? And I and we both went back to like, well, why do I think that? Where does that knowledge come from? And that made me so interested about the whole idea of how do we know what we know when we when we work in gardens when we're working in our own garden on our farm on our land you know and sometimes the things we think we know maybe they're true maybe they're not there often are some hard and like what people perceive of as these hard and fast rules you must do it like this or you should never do this but when you actually dig into it and your own you know lived experience might tell you something different so I was really fascinated by this and and wanted to talk to Jessica a bit about how do we know what we know, where does that information come from, and what are some of our resources, like where did we learn, and, and how does that information, how can it change over time? Because I think that's something that's also really fascinating to me is that, that there yeah. might be things that were absolutely this is how you should do it 20 years ago that now we would say the opposite yeah and this was a, a large part of our conversation the um the idea of these hard and fast rules and that of course science is valuable and observation is valuable and there's hard science about plants that probably isn't going to change but that um at times rules do change absolutely protocol changes the way you brought up the, a great one about the leaves oh leaving the leaves yeah yeah and and that's something i'm sure you've heard us talking about this you know forever now but when i was first learning to garden like fall was when you cleaned everything up you raked all your leaves you you know put them up at the curb to take away or threw them in the trash which lots of people still are doing and you <laughs> and the whole idea was like you prune everything back and you clean your garden as much as possible in the fall and that was what you were supposed to do. And, and it was presented as this is the healthy thing to do for your garden. 
And now so much research and observation is telling us, no, actually the healthier thing to do for that whole ecosystem that you're creating is to leave those leaves. It's, it's mulch, it's food for the garden, it's, it's insect habitat, it's all of these things that are beneficial. Leave those seed heads on your plant that the birds can eat on all winter long. Leave those things and, and deal with it late winter. And I, yeah, I think we're getting closer in... I, I know I am getting closer in my garden practice to it, to mimicking nature. And so it, with that in mind, going to a conversation about pruning, you know, I think the first thing to think about if we are starting a new garden is size appropriateness. You know, m- many of these um, trees and shrubs that we buy won't need a lot of pruning. They won't need um, heading cuts, be it non-selective or selective. They'll need thinning, you know, they'll need thinning. They might need a little opening up. Um, There might be some pruning for shape, but we're not trying to control the tree or the shrub. And I think that's a, a really good place to start is thinking about mature sizes. Well, and usually, the drip line of a mature size, and how is this going to meld with these other plants? Do you, is, do you find like when you're, if someone is buying plants, like buying a new plant for their garden, it's hard because you go to a nursery and you're buying this plant maybe in a gallon pot and mm-hmm. it's maybe a foot tall. Mm-hmm. And yet that plant is going to become maybe, you know, six feet wide and 12 feet tall at its maturity. But when you put it in the ground, it's hard to leave space for that. Yes, yes, definitely. And, and, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with overplanting. <laughs> we can always overplant and edit. Um, but overplanting and then expecting that you are going to start shearing something, you're going to do all these uh, this pruning that has non-selective heading cuts, um, you're locking yourself into maintenance in the garden, you're making extra work. Um, a way to kind of strategize about that, if, you, if your trees and shrubs are, obviously, you're putting them in, they're going to be smaller than they are, than they will be once they reach a mature size. We can fill in with other things. We can fill in with perennials. Um, or annuals. Or annuals. Until those plants reach maturity. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, these days with annuals, I love annuals. You know, I, I, I know that um, in my early gardening career, I kind of vilified annuals. I still, as much as I love some of the things that are out there on the market, I would rather plant annuals that might be, and it's harder to get, but specific to our region, uh, a, a local buckwheat or um, something that uh, might provide more habitat or food. I will still always love poppies and cosmos and things like that that I can save seed from and the birds can eat seed. But I see myself steering more and more away from you know, just bedding plants that are maybe treated with something that I don't know about. Or I and that, know. you mean, that comes down to it too. Like, yeah. what are you comfortable planting in your garden? And everyone has different tastes and different inclinations. And that's something that I've learned too over time is there are things that I do. There's things I like. There's, you know, colors that I prefer. There's plants that I love, plants that I'm like, eh, don't really like that one. But other people have a totally different take on it. And what 
I, when I was learning to garden, it was at a time where there were some very strong like garden designers that had these philosophies and these ideas. And I remember uh, I, I worked for this very snooty garden company for years called Smith & Hawken down in California. And they sold very high-end garden stuff. And the, the store that I worked in had a nursery. And the, the, the woman who was like their main plant consultant had very strong views about plants such that she did not like any plants that had flowers that were orange or red or yellow like that was like no they could the nursery could not sell any plants that were orange or red or yellow and I actually really like some of those flowers but I was very much like no no those are terrible plants and I really I absorbed that idea and and certain plants I really looked down on because I was told well those are kind of you know those are more common plants we shouldn't like those plants and I've come to believe now that if a plant makes you happy if it brings joy to you, if you enjoy it. And it's not treated with neonicotinoids. Hopefully. And And it hasn't taken a ton of resources (laughs) to grow and ship from somewhere else. And it's not wildly invasive, you know, so you're not releasing something terrible into the wild, then yeah, you know, I think you can enjoy it. And if that brings you joy, that's great. And I'm not going to judge somebody else's garden, you know, if they want to have all pink flowers that's cool. I wouldn't do that. But if that's what makes you happy, that's great. And I, I guess I've become less, um, I've become less hard and fast as I get older because I realize that it can be very off-putting for people, especially when they're learning to garden. If they're just beginning, um, you can feel very intimidated. I was very intimidated thinking, oh, I'm doing it wrong. And then, you know, sometimes you learn by experience and that was another thing we were talking about is like how do we how do we know what we know and then how do we learn it and so like some people learn by doing and observing and some people love to learn by books or classroom education and part of that's discovering what's your style of learning did you have mentors that helped you Along the, along the way? You know, I think my biggest mentors um, as I was growing up were plants and, and playing with plants and loving on plants and seeing how plants were in the wild, in the forest, in the fields, and seeing which plants really proliferated in ways that didn't seem healthy for the ecosystem or or plants that were um, not not good for the livestock like tansy ragwort or certain types of thistles you know you're always battling that on the farm yeah. aren't you the you know the german thistles or things like that canada thistle <laughs> yeah there, i mean there are some plants where i yeah absolutely i will take that plant down I and will do anything i can I, to get rid of it i think we're you know like you like you were saying we're we're all different types of learners you know, and I, I love reading gardening books. Um, I've gone through the Master Gardeners course. But really, the thing that taught me the most was tending my own gardens. You know, t- tending, tending plants, tending gardens, um, making plant communities that made sense together. Um, and not being intimidated to go ahead and prune something. I, I definitely have used, uh, years ago, Fred White, um, local uh, 
gardener and a, amazing pruner introduced me to the Plant Amnesty Group, uh, a nonprofit out of Seattle. And they have a website, lots of information. Um, you can also order pruning guides from them that are just little sheets of paper that you can get for 50 cents, but very specific to a forsythia, a catinus, uh, type different types of clematis. Um, and it's just a guide to how to prune that or how exactly. to... Exactly. And, and, and one of the things that I still refer back to over and over again, and I often have people that I'm coaching in the gardens purchase, is Cass Turnbull's Guide to Pruning. And she is an affiliate with the Plant Amnesty and Pruning Amnesty groups. And she has this book that just really breaks down very specific plant material in the different ways that we could be pruning it. How it grows, what its mature um, size might be, depending on different areas, um, sun, shade, what type of soil we have, like kind of breaking it down and helping us see um, what the possibilities might be for things that we could plan. Uh, and, you know, we all have different different lot sizes, don't we? And different that um, is true. slopes yeah. and Well, and sometimes you're, you're moving and... onto a property or into a home garden where you're inheriting plants. You might be inheriting some very old trees. You might be inheriting some shrubbery or perennials that... Maybe it's what you want, maybe it's not. Maybe they've been allowed to become very overgrown um, and you need to find a way to take them back. These are great places to start. I know that Cass Turnbull's book, I haven't bought it yet because I keep like referring to yours and I look her up online and stalk her and learn things. And it is really handy. I will totally back Jessica up with this. I think if you are curious about pruning, that's a great resource. And, and I just found out about this plant amnesty website from you today, and I'm really excited to go check them out because that can be so helpful. These are people that have been pruning for a really long time, and they've been doing it over and over again. They've been working with these plants for years, and they have a good instinct for if you do this, the plant is probably going to respond in this way. So if you have that plant and you want to know how to prune it, these are some great resources to turn to to start learning about how to do that. Yeah, and to not be totally, we don't have to be afraid about mm -hmm. it. If we kill a plant, we kill, we a, kill plant. a plant. <laughs> we have probably killed a lot of plants between <laughs> us over the at, years. At the same time, if you're going into a landscape, you know, in Astoria, we have many historic homes. Um, maybe you're renting, or if you're lucky enough to own your own home, um, and you're inheriting shrubs or trees that, like you're saying, are possibly overgrown or have knit themselves together, um, don't lose hope. You know, there are ways to renovate shrubs. Um, there are ways to kind of choose what you might edit out. And, and I guess, you know, like you're saying, um, you know, I can go into a garden and I immediately know what I want to edit. <laughs> you know, if things are overgrown, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not immediately. Maybe I'll work around the plants and think, yeah, this Japanese maple is 
possibly more valuable than this other tree that's going to end up growing another, you know, 50 feet and, and, and the lot won't actually uh, provide the space for that or I want some light or, but these are all very personal things, aren't they? They are. And I, I think that's something where, again, how we know what we know and what we decide to do in our in our gardens, on our land, is is personal to some degree. I think you can be guided by research, it can be guided by observation, but also I, I think what I would wish for people is to not be afraid and, and not worry about making mistakes. I have made so many mistakes um, in my, I was realizing uh, this coming January will be uh, my 20th anniversary of moving to the Oregon coast. <laughs> And I moved here from Northern California, um, come out of the closet as one of those people. <laughs> but, uh, and I had some idea, I was a gardener, I'd been gardening for maybe 10 years prior to that, but I was absolutely one of those people that's like, you know, hey, Packy, my partner, you know, let's move to the Oregon coast and start a farm, you know, how hard can that be? And I had no idea what I was getting into. And I learned along the way, I went through the master gardener course out here because there wasn't really any other training available. And I... I made so many mistakes. I tried stuff, it didn't work. I tried something else. I took workshops, I read books. You know, as the internet became more of, a, of an option, I did online research. And over time, I realized I've figured some stuff out. But it's been a lot of trial and error. It's been a lot of dead plants in my wake. It's been some <laughs> terrible disasters and some great successes. You know, but that's one way to learn, and that's a totally viable way to do it. I, I, I've had a lot of mentors, and I've had a lot of good advice. I've learned a lot from Jessica. Like, watching her prune something is just magical. And I don't understand what she's doing sometimes because she's so fast. It'll be like, do, 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 do. And I'm like, oh, what? Wait, what did you? Why did you? What? And But then it's beautiful, and it's totally opened up, and it looks gorgeous. And I can go back and look at that plant and look at the cuts she made and think like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. And I might do it the next time, and it's maybe not going to look as good. But I'm learning, and maybe it'll, you know, eventually I can figure it out. And yeah, that's okay. and we're just thinking about, you know, if you if you don't have a lot of knowledge about the pruning, a really easy thing to do with the trees and shrubs, get in there and just go for the deadwood. Oh, and, so, and, so, and sometimes that's hard to see, but the deadwood is often a different color than mm -hmm. the other branches. You can scratch it with your thumbnail. You can scratch and it with your thumbnail. And if it's brown underneath, you, it's dead. If it's green, it's right. still alive. You, you, if you still have some green in there, it's got wick, it's got life. Um, another thought when you were talking uh, was... Uh, I used to joke that I was a transcendentalist, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of put that into my gardening practice that, you know, if something isn't in the right place, if you killed it by not watering it, if you didn't plant it properly and it died, you know, we can compost these things. It's okay. And, and to keep moving and to move on from there. Um, so deadwooding, mm -hmm. crossing branches. So cutting out branches that are crossing yeah. each other, especially across the interior, across, right? Especially across the interior. We're thinking about opening up. We're thinking about light and airflow and, and having those things be able to reach many parts of the plant. Um, often things get leggy 
when they don't have enough light, you know, they're shaded out or they can't get enough light into the interior. And then we have a lot of dye out in the interior and we only have growth on the tips. Um, so, so thinking about a balance in the garden of everyone getting to have what they need, you know, the shade people can be in the shade and the, the sunny people are gonna get to have their sun and we can, do a certain amount of um, containing size, but boy, if we have a chance to make those decisions ourselves uh, about um, what's gonna be planted, yeah. think about it a little bit. And you know, if you need to, if you need to start with five, you know, one tree and five shrubs, and you think uh, about percentages, and you think, oh, I'm gonna have you know, 50% of that might be native. And and then I'm gonna have this amazing contorted filbert because I love how it provides protection for the birds. And I just love the way they look. And, um, and, and then like we were saying, you can go ahead and make sure to mulch really well in between. You can use perennials in between. Um, I often go for, you know, Mediterranean perennials or herbs or things that might eventually get shaded out. I have a number of gardens where we planted, um, and even my own home garden, I joke that I have multiple dimensions in my garden. <laughs> I have two or three stories going on at the same time because I've planted some trees and shrubs that will eventually get to be a larger size and and create shade and I won't be able to have some of these herbs and other things that are there now but I can enjoy them for the time being knowing that that shade is going to come and I'm going to have more ferns and more native bulbs and mosses and ground covers just in time for my 65th birthday <laughs> but where that, I don't want to take care of as many perennials. Well, and that's, that's another thing that I would say is like, what are your goals for your garden? What do you want out of it? And how much time and like literally physical energy are you able to put into it? Because that's something that changes over time too. And I've certainly learned that as I've gotten older, how I'm approaching farming is changing because physically there's some things that I just can't do anymore. And so I'm shifting the plants that I grow and that I work with because like I can't get down on my knees. Yeah, and as anymore. we're as and we're tending and learning and but if growing. You're, if you're 22 years old and this is your first garden, go for it. You yeah. know, just do everything <laughs> and and you know, I did that when I was in my early 20s and I, you know, I, I taught myself how to garden with a Sunset Western Garden book. Yeah. And Same. like going to the nursery and just buying a bunch of things and thinking and oh, our moms and yeah. our moms. You know, I will say at this age um I am I am a little bit more intentional and I set intentions with my spaces and I'm really trying to create ecology. You know, I, I, I really wanna love on the natural world and create food and create habitat. And I think when we have that kind of intention, our gardens change a little bit. Uh, I, someone just loaned me a beautiful book um, called The Living Landscape. And it's Rick Dark that I love his grass ornamental grass books. I really cut my teeth with ornamental grasses around his books. And he has um, come together with Doug Tallamy, who is just a, a dynamo in the ecological gardening world. And 
has really helped me shift some of my ideas about what I want out of my my garden world you know what I'm trying to create in my yeah in my spaces and and what I'm inviting with plant material I think those are really wonderful things to think about and researching reading books going to websites we always in gardens yep I, I always recommend people walk around neighborhoods and look at gardens and if there's gardens that you like if there's shrubs that you like or plants that you see whether it's annual perennial or a tree and you don't know what it is asking you know especially if you see someone out working in their garden just ask them gardeners usually love to yeah. talk and or like you know knock on their door get to know your neighbors and just say hey this tree that you have or this shrub i love it do you know what it is yeah do you know what variety that is yeah. i would love to plant that in my garden and that's fun because that's right in your like little zone that's mm-hmm. in your habitat another thing for me that i've just gained so much from is nursery visiting you know nurseries that are growing from seed nurseries that are really caring about what they're producing like sister's nursery on sobey's island or um, dancing oaks in Monmouth. I learned so much from spending way too much time in one visit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just going and bringing lunch and looking at those demo gardens and seeing what's available, seeing what people are growing and, and what can perform here. It's, it's exciting. I think there's so many opportunities and, and certainly so many things grow well in this region. We have so many options for wonderful plants in our gardens. I think, I know most people struggle with just not enough room. I want too many plants and I can't fit them all uh-huh. into my space. Yeah. But it's, it's a, I mean, I think it's a wonderful problem to have, you know, and you have so many options for things and being open to experimenting and learning and trying and not getting stuck in that, that fear of am I doing it wrong? Am experimenting. I doing it wrong? Yeah. Don't, I just don't observation, yeah. experimenting, having fun with it. Um, gardening in containers to start with if you wanted to get to know plants. Yes. It's there there are a lot of resources out there and I think about where where, where things were at when I started versus where they are now, there are so many great resources out there. I would just say, like, you know, proceed with some caution, especially when you're just, you know, trolling the internet to think about, how do I do this? How do I not do that? Because there's a lot of information out there that, you know, I, I, I've noticed if I've looked up a certain plant or how to grow this flower or how to do this thing, you can often find the exact same wording on 10 different websites that clearly has just been cut and pasted from site to site, and it's like, how do any, is this true? Where does this come from? Who's originally saying this? Critical thinking, we were talking about yes. this and bringing, you know, the value of the value of science, the value of experience, um, but yeah, doing some critical thinking when we're Absolutely. looking on the internet. I know, but or, thinking about going to your plant amnesty group, it's like, clearly, these are some people that have experience, yes. and so if I go there and I get some knowledge and the other thing and i feel like we always need to call out this book because it's our favorite is the maritime northwest garden guide um from tilth alliance it used to be seattle tilth but now it's tilth alliance it's planning calendar for year-round organic gardening this is it's a it's not a huge book it's basically like a big magazine it's hilarious if you could see our two different copies because i've had to replace mine because it fell apart and jess's is 
trash. The I cover's have two gone. other copies. I have it's a like, copy loaned out to somebody. This just has mold been... growing in yours. <laughs> but and mine just has I'm like out of this. Mine has one coffee cup stain on it now. I mean, there'll be more. But this, I think, if I had to have only one, if yeah. I only had one, it would be this one. Um, this is definitely my favorite resource. But there's a lot out there. You know, be curious, ask questions. You know, our local extension service. Absolutely, there's a lot of things, and and I think you know, just to get back to the original thing that we started with, with like, is this the right time of year to prune a tree or not? Well, maybe it is. You know what I was and maybe taught it's not. about the pruning, yeah. and I learned this in a actually a master gardener workshop, and the manly was giving it, and it was about fruit trees and. Um, he said, the time to prune is when your shears are sharp. Ooh, I like that. The time to prune is when your <laughs> shears are sharp. And I thought, okay, I sharpen my shears a lot. So I prune at a lot of different times of year. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, that's, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks. I mean, it's, I, it, for... it's, it's been a lot longer than what we recorded because we were bouncing all over the place with this. But it's been really good. And I hope it's been great for all of you listening and just you know stay curious ask questions read books do research enjoy the natural world it's such a magical place thanks to everyone for joining us we'll talk to you next time